Okay, here's the gist. I'm a gay guy who's been living in New York City for the past three decades. I got shit to talk about. I also have awesome friends who also have a lot of shit to talk about. That's what this podcast is about. Way off the record. People that you never hear from, that you need to hear from. Because trust me, girl, you need this fabulous in your life. Um, I'm here talking to a really good friend of mine. His name is Joe Catania. Uh, he is a producer of television of some renown. He's been nominated for eight Emmys, including what we worked on, the Cosby Show together, uh, the Polly Shore Show, the John LaRoquette Show, Two Guys, A Girl, and a Pizza Place. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Um, iCarly. Taina, the first uh, Latino lead television show in the early 2000s. Victorious, Drake and Josh, One World, Sam and Cat, and then recently the Who Was Question Mark show on Netflix. Joey, how are you? I'm great, Scott. I'm happy <laughs> to be here. Are there any of those shows that you want to talk about, like what the experience was? Um, sure. Can you... I don't know, can you be more specific? Like, well, of the shows that I listed, Cosby Show, Polly is Polly Polly Shore an asshole? Is John Larroquette an asshole? Polly Shore is not an asshole. He was a really nice guy. Oh, it was nice. a great experience. And you know, they always say, uh, when everybody's nice on a show, it doesn't go. And it's only the shows that make you miserable that are successful. Oh, like Roseanne. And I have found that to be true. Yeah. So, Pauly Shore, we only shot seven. I think Fox only aired three or four. Uh, but it was a great experience. Everybody was awesome. Oh, I love hearing that. I love hearing that. Yeah. What about... I, I think I remember talking to you years ago about John Larroquette. How was he? Um, He's not the nicest guy. Um, He was pretty nice to me. Uh... And that was my first show in California. Mm. Uh, I moved, after the Cosby show, I moved to California. And uh, I was really lucky I found a job in six weeks. I found that job in six weeks. Wow. Uh, and uh, I was but really... you had, like, cred already, right? From being an associate producer at Cosby Well, show? I don't I mean... think that really helped very much. Uh, you know, I think part of the problem was... You know, there were people who lied about their credits and said they had worked on the Cosby show. I had one experience where I was up for a show at Warner Brothers and this guy claimed to be a producer on the Cosby show. I had never heard of him. Uh, and I worked on the Cosby show for four years and I knew everybody pretty well. Uh, and, you know, he said that he didn't want to work with me. He told the executives at Warner Brothers he didn't want to work with me. And the reason he didn't want to work with me is because I knew that he was lying about his credits. right. Wow. But he actually had Terry back him up, Terry Guarneri back him up. So she sort of falsified his background. And, um... Really? Yeah. And she was... I think he was dating one of her girlfriends or something like that. Of course. Uh, and, you know, Terry didn't know that it affected me personally, that the guy, uh... Or did she? No, boom, boom, no, boom. there's no way. I, you know, I, had a, I had a pretty good experience with Terry. I don't really have bad things to say about her. 
she mm. was difficult, but, you know, swing a cat in show business <laughs> and you'll hit someone who's difficult. I know. Um, I just, I was clear, clearly not, like, ready for it. So, do you want to talk about two guys and Ryan Reynolds, or was that memorable? Uh, I, yeah, I only did a season of that. The line producer was horrible. She was another, there's a generation of women who are, like, ten years older than me. And it was a transitional generation, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think women who are younger than them are not like that. They're like cool and wonderful and normal. They had but, something to prove these women. You're talking yeah. About. yeah. And yeah. I don't think they, you know, I think they felt like they had to act like the worst stereotypical man mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. And they were all, you know, they were terrible. Uh, they were terrible to work with, work with, work with, work for. Uh, they wanted to make everyone feel as miserable as they were. And they were really cruel. Mm-hmm. And the line producer in that show, her name was Jan Siegelman, was a fucking nightmare. And uh, so as <laughs> soon as I could bounce off of that show, I did. I only did. I only did a season. I was like, I'm not going through another season with this woman. Uh, so when you first met me, what was your impression of me? Honestly, well, to be perfectly honest, I don't remember. I mean, it's a really long time ago. Um, I thought I probably thought you were nice and I hate you right now. Cute, you don't I guess. Remember? You don't remember cute? Sure. Well, I was twenty, moist something. I don't know. But you were also not much older than me at that point, right? You were like 24, 25 uh, yeah, when you started. Yeah, I was older than that. <sighs> yeah, I was older all than right. that. But I was in my 20s. I mean, it's not much older. All right, all right. Um, so I remember, so I was, before Cosby, I worked for Attitudes, the Lifetime talk show with Linda Denham and Dee Kelly in the same uh, Kaufman Astoria Studios building. And um, I think my friend Nina, remember one of the writer's assistants, like said, hey, there's this job at Cosby, you should, you should try for it, which was your job, you know, <laughs> working for Terry. And I remember um, dropping off my resume to you, walking, walking into that first office, you know, down our little hallway, and probably saying something completely ridiculous or whatever, and like, you know... All I had in terms of television was maybe six months at, at this talk show, this Lifetime Women's Magazine talk show. And then I got a call, like um, like a week later, we'd like to offer you the job, and blah, blah, blah. And I remember thinking how fucking intimidating everything was. And you, initially, I felt were intimidating until I got to know you until I got to know that you thought that I was like a decent person and and you were funny but you know the first month or something I was like over my head like you know this is kind of level of um, well it wasn't a nice environment there I don't think and I think it started at the top I don't think Bill Cosby was very nice uh and uh, certainly, 
there was a lot. There were a lot of people on staff there who were not very nice, mm-hmm. and there were a lot. There was a lot of racial tension. And, oh, talk about that. Well, you know, I don't really think it's worth talking about. You know, I think, uh, you know, there was a time where I don't know. There was just a lot of. You know, although, you know, the people who we worked with uh, on the assistant level at that time were not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of like the Cosby gang, the people around Cosby were like that. Hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, there were writers there who were, you know, really horrible and, you know, would come into my office and scream at me and... Uh, you know, we're always very, very combative and mm-hmm. uh, very confrontational uh, over, you know, stupid things that, you know, they really shouldn't have been worrying about. Where do you think that came from? Because these, these people are making a gazillion dollars, the writers on that show, and continue to make, well, I don't know if there's... Well, I think a lot of the writers, that, you know, were not really writers, Uh they were given the jobs and they were in over their head. So instead of, you know, writing, they, uh, you know, they worried about stuff that they understood. You know, I was at the assistant level and I remember the only thing that saved me from, from (laughs) having, what do you say? Like bloody gums or something from other assistants. The only thing that saved me were, were, you know, the people that I made friends with, Bela Travis and all, and Lisa Hairston and all the writers' assistants and stuff. And, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I found it very overwhelming. Um, save for the, you know, the majority of the people that I worked with, um, and it, and it made it much better. And there's one story I have to talk about, and then we can talk about something else beside cost. I remember it was the last few days of the show, like eighth season or whatever, seven seasons? How many seasons were there? Eight? I think there were eight. Eight. Terry came to me with this another crazy... Um, request that go to the writer's room she says to me go to the writer's room and ask them to up whatever draft it was on it was like three or four or whatever have the writer's room say you know change uh the cover to say final draft and then go around to all the cast and have them sign it i was like okay and at this point i was like i was able to rebel at some point so I did this when I was friends with other people in the writers' room. So I told them the story, and they were like, "Oh, yeah, it's cool, you know, whatever." <laughs> so I, so I said, "Do me a favor, make two copies." Because I'm thinking, like, if I'm gonna have to like go around and like do something so dishonest, so that she can have like what you know, retirement kind of cover from the last Cosby Show, or whatever, I'm gonna do it for myself too. And I brought. Two copies were on, on my clipboard, walked to every single cast member, including Cosby, and 
Malcolm and you know everybody, and then I get to um, Felicia Rashad's dressing room and take my shoes off. Um, she opens the door and I say and I explain the situation like I'm Terry wanted me to do this, blah, blah, blah. and she was really she understood that it was like really painful for me to ask this because it was so fucked up, and she said in that way of her she like looked me right in the eye and she said so this one is Terry's the top one and the one below is your copy and I said yes so she signed her Terry's copy like just a tiny little Felicia Rashad then she lifts up the first page and looks at me again and draws this and I have it here giant smiley face with um, uh, her signature and then she said something to me like I don't know if she said anything else after that but she got it she got like what I was up against and she knew me enough to know because I'd been there for two years um, that kind of made like all the bullshit that I had to go through like that kind of made it kind of okay for me you know that somebody at that level could like understand what the fuck we were all up against and what I was up against and bleh. all right Let's take a quick break right now. We'll be right back. Tell me what the hell are you scared of when in the end The only thing is love in the end Love's the only thing I want to regret the things wanna, I've done wanna, Never wanna, the things I've left unknown Never a second will wanna, I waste wanna, Never an opportunity wanna, to taste the sweetness of life The thing that has been very painful to me is knowing what was actually going on with him back when we were there. Did you ever, Joe, see anything? By him, you mean Bill Cosby? Yeah. Uh, no, personally, I did not see anything. You know, there were a lot of rumors uh, about him. Uh, and there was a woman who used to come every Thursday, and she would bring six or seven girls, and Cosby would look them over and pick one to give acting lessons to. The following oh, Monday. Oh. Uh, and then whoever that girl was, she would come on Monday and he would spend a few hours in his dressing room teaching her how to act. Um, but. How to act like giving a blowjob? I, or... I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I do know that the girls were given money after their acting lesson. Uh, but outside of that, I don't have any. Never talked to any of the girls. I don't know what happened in that room for three hours. Three uh, hours? But, uh, well, apparently they need a lot of coaching. Uh, but that's all I know. I'm certainly sure. nobody, you know, certainly the rumor was they had an open marriage, him and Mrs. Cosby. Uh, but, you know, there was no talk about drugging and raping. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, we just assume that he was, you know, kind of a dog, and uh, Mrs. Cosby was cool with it. She claims to not know anything now, right? Isn't that her, like, her whole thing, like, my husband's innocent and all that I bullshit? can't speak to anything. She, I've never met Mrs. Cosby. I can't. I barely, I worked there for four years. I barely met No, I'm Cosby. talking about, like, public reporting, like. She's standing behind her, behind her man. Like, there's nothing wrong. Like, Kish and I pull him. 
doing the same. Like, he's innocent. I don't know. Well, you know, the these, these people are not, you know, uh, uninterested bystanders. Bystanders. Right. right. That's what I mean. You know, they get, you know, when the Cosby shows off the air, they stop getting paid. You know, I don't know, you know, what deals people had, whether it's residuals or whether anybody had, you know, small percentages of the show. I was not privy to that. So, but if you did have a percentage of the show and it stops airing, you stop making money. Right. So, let me ask you this, because I have been wondering this. Is, with all of this thing, all of this, you know, indictments and news and stuff with Cosby, has... I can't imagine that the show is being like picked up again, or is no. It? I, I don't think it's currently airing, uh, at least in the United States. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, because I heard rumors that he also pranced around in his undies uh, in front of women. Uh, you know, which is the same thing that Weinstein did, and the same thing that Charlie Rose allegedly did. Mm. That um, kind of killed me. I have to say Charlie Rose because I love. I don't know. I just think it's so funny. I, I just think it's so funny that these guys who are in their sixties and seventies think that a young girl in their twenties is going to be turned on by their saggy self in their underwear. It's you know, but or or you know when they pull out their oh. junk, you know. I just uh, what happened to buying jewelry? It's a power. T- <laughs> 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 but it's a. It's a fucked up power kind of play. I don't know. Um, all right. Let's talk about something more positive. Um, if you wouldn't mind. Let's talk about something like homophobia in the entertainment industry. Because we're both gay. Um, sorry to out you like that. But we can't I, out me if I'm already out. <laughs> <laughs> no. I wasn't in the entertainment industry long enough to know. Um, but this is one of the things that, you know, when I sent you the question list, this is one of the things that I didn't include because I don't know about it that you included. So can you talk to that? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I personally have experienced a lot of homophobia in the entertainment industry. And, you know, I, I, people always think that the entertainment industry has a lot of gay people working in it and it's not homophobic right uh, but I don't know another industry where you know you have people you know pretending they're straight and actually entering into sham marriages uh, to perpetuate uh, the illusion that they are heterosexual like like who who would that be well it doesn't matter I, I mean <laughs> everybody knows sorry you I'm know, being Andy Cohen right now and I hate him uh, but so. it doesn't matter you know, it's just, I think California is a very conservative state, despite what other people think. Really? Uh, you have to remember that Prop 8 in California passed, where they banned gay marriage. Yeah. Although it was overturned, there was enough of a, uh, you know, right-wing presence in California to pass in the first place. The Mormons also had a huge impact on Well, that. there's a lot of... Uh, conservative people in California. California is not, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of high-profile liberals in California, but that does not define the entire state or right. most of the people in the right. state. Right, right. Um, so I had stuff. I worked for a company 
uh, where I was an associate producer, and they told me that they would that that one of the uh, owners of the company uh, you know, hated gay men, and I would never get promoted to producer, no matter what I did. They actually said that to you in those. They words. actually said that to me that I would never get promoted to producer because Tony hates gay men and doesn't want any gay men to be promoted. And uh, I had one of his relatives who was working at the company tell me that I was doing as best as I possibly could in the company uh, as a gay man. What, and you, when was this? What, this show? was in the mid-90s. This was with Thomas. I, you know, I, I don't feel you know, any compunction about not mentioning the name of the company. Right, good. Good. You know, I think uh, that uh, that company did some wonderful stuff. They produced the Golden Girls, which we all love. Mm. Uh, <laughs> they produced, uh, I think it was Hotel was the first one, which like had one, Billy Crystal was one of the first gay characters. Oh. Uh, and certainly they've done a lot of work. Or Soap. A lot. Soap. 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 That's yeah, what yeah, it was. Yeah. Soap. Uh, I love and, that show. Catherine Hellman. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, they produce. I'm going to take. So, that, I'm going to take that back. That they produce. Super... They produce. They produce soap, which had the first gay character on TV, Billy Crystal. Um, so uh, you know, on the one hand, they did publicly, they did good things, uh, but privately and behind the scenes, it was an extremely, uh, in my experience, mm -hmm. homophobic place. Uh, and you know, I remember being. Uh, in meetings where uh, one of the principals of the company was talking about a, an event where David Geffen sat next to Jennifer Aniston. And he said in the meeting, what a waste of a seat putting David Geffen next to Jennifer Aniston. Oh. When, you know, so many men in the country were interested in her and they sat a gay man next to her, which was a waste of a seat. And, oh, my God. Uh, oh. You know, they did pilots where there were uh, offensive uh, lines about gay people that they fought the network to try, try to keep in. And, and the particular was ABC, and ABC said, no, no way. You cannot keep this line in. And it was about a, it was about a lawyer who was wearing an earring, and his father said he looked like a fag. And they thought that that was an okay line uh, to keep in the pilot, and ABC wouldn't let them do it. Wow. To the credit of ABC. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, I think it's really hard for gay men because, you know, you don't get invited to play golf with the guys. And when there are women's would you groups. Want to, though? I mean. And when there's women's groups like women's in film, you're not included in the women's groups. So you're really, you know, at that time, and now I'm talking like 20, 25 years ago, mm -hmm. you were in a no man's land. You know, you, you could not get the opportunity to. Uh, you know, make deals on the golf course. You couldn't make deals at a woman's luncheon. You know, you were sort of on your own. You were, Do you think it's any better now? Because I don't think it is. In, th in general. I think it's better now. Yeah. I do think it's better now. Oh, good. I, well, you know, at that time, I did not know. I mean, I was working in Hollywood. Uh, I was working at a very successful company. Uh, at several very successful companies, and I didn't know any other gay men who were producers. Mm. And not a one. Uh, 
So, you know, and I was on job interviews where they would ask me questions about my, you know, like very veiled questions about my personal life. Mm-hmm. And they would say stuff like, well, we're a family company. We like to hire people who have yeah, families. That's code for... Yeah, it was totally code. Fucking Nazi homophobic. Uh, you know, and I've had crew members come into my office and say stuff. At one time I had a black crew member come into my office. And he had just moved into a house uh, in a white neighborhood. And he was really upset because his white neighbors were not being really nice to him. And he felt that they were being prejudiced towards him and giving him a hard time. Mm. And the same breath he said, but, you know, if a gay man moved in next to me, I'd have a problem with that. Really? Yeah. What, is your, what did you say to that? What was your reaction? I didn't say anything. Remember? Yeah, no, I totally remember. I didn't say anything. No, I mean, I just, what you said. I didn't say anything to him. I just sort of nodded and... Uh, Hi, Irony? Well, that's fucked up. Well, it's not especially fucked up. You, you know, a lot of black people are, are because of the church, because of the Baptist church, have issues with gay people. I know, and but like I think I'm that's... talking about those two things, like back to back, that he talked about. But we're moving into a white neighborhood as a black person, like it's not very friendly. And then, and yet, if somebody moved next to me who was gay, I'd have a problem. Like, like seriously, you don't see. I don't know. I, no, I would have a hard I don't time think not... people. I don't think people see. I don't think people think there's anything wrong with it. Uh, you know, I, you know, if they thought there was something wrong with it, well, you know, if they thought something was wrong with it, they would do it and not talk about it. They wouldn't be open about it. Well, right. You know, right. if they thought there was something wrong with it, they would never say, you know, you're never going to get promoted because you're gay. That is not something that would ever be said. Oh, my God. If not they felt that totally that was, illegal saying those words. It was, you know, and I thought about filing a lawsuit, but at that time, you know, it was a different world. Uh, it's not today. You know, it's funny. I have a, a, a really young friend who said to me one time, I don't understand why people don't come out at work. I'm out at work. And I'm like, you're a fucking interior designer. <laughs> You'd have to come out as straight, you know. And, you know, and I do feel that with a lot of gay men, Uh you know, they're in traditionally, they're in tradition, they're in jobs that traditionally gay men do. And I do think, you know, at the time, and again, I'm going back like 20, 25 years, I do think that straight men were way more uncomfortable with a masculine gay man. Because if there really? was an effeminate gay man, they could oh. say, well, he's gay, I'm not like that. Oh. So, you know, that's different from me. Uh, and, you know, and they do makeup and hair. And, you know, who else is going to do that? But I think if you, you know, I think if you were in a non-traditional job for a gay man and you were not uh, immediately, obviously gay. Yeah. And then they found out you were gay. I, I feel like that made them a lot more uncomfortable. See, I've always felt... Because I grew up in such a conservative place in upstate New York as a gay kid. So Matt's a really good friend of mine. And um, this is one of those talks that we had early on in our friendship. And we're like super good friends. <laughs> I said, when I said to him, you didn't think I was gay when you first met me, right? 
It's like, not until you open your mouth. And it's like, I actually found that really charming because I, because back to when I was really conscious of my voice and the way I moved in space and my wrists and stuff like that, I was really conscious because growing up where I grew up in upstate New York, you would get fucking beat up for that or worse by, I'm not saying it's the right thing, you know, the right way that I handled it, but like I was about survival, you know, at this point in the mid eighties, upstate New York, like you, you have to, I, I literally studied my wrist placement and my walk and my voice and stuff. And, and then I got to New York and, and one of the things doing this podcast, I have to say, like, you know, I sound super gay and I'm so cool with that. Let's take a quick break right now. We'll be right back. Tell me what the hell are you scared of when in the end, the only thing is love in the end, love's the only thing. I want to regret the things wanna, I've done, wanna, never wanna, the things I've left unknown, never a second will I waste, never an opportunity to taste the sweetness of life. But I do want to go back to talking about homophobia in the workplace. I mm-hmm. know I had a meeting with a production executive at Nickelodeon, uh, who told me that I should never hire men because no man is ever going to respect me. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, I, you know, I think what she was really saying is I should only hire women and I shouldn't hire any straight man because no straight man is going to respect me, is what she really meant. Uh, I still don't understand what that means, because you're gay. Right. And they won't respect you because you're gay? Right. Right. I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that's what she thought, and she was a production executive at Nickelodeon. Uh, and this is now, now we're in the 2000s. Oh. You know, so um, it's, you know, I found it to be pervasive, mm-hmm. and you were always, you know, when gay marriage was coming up in California, uh, there were all these writers that I worked with that I really liked. And they were like, you know, on uh, social media, they were writing things like, like, what's next? You're going to be allowed to marry your dog mm. if two men were allowed. And then, you know, and then you're at work and then you see them at work and you're supposed to, th- you know, and, and, you know, behave like they didn't say anything that was so ridiculously right, offensive. Right. right. And, um, and harmful, not even just offensive, but like. That's yeah, hurtful. hurtful. Hurtful and ignorant and, you know, all the rest. Um, but, you know, I think that's the, you know, you talked about being able to pass. I think mm-hmm. that's the flip side of being able to pass is that people feel comfortable about saying, like, really horrible things about gay uh, men to you. I worked for one guy, talking about the Pauly Shore show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two executive producers were gay. The line producer was straight. The line producer hired me as his associate producer. And every time I went into his office, he said really horrible things about the gay executive producers. Like, very nasty, homophobic things. And it made me really uncomfortable. And it got to the point where I was like, look, I feel like I have to tell you, you know, I'm gay. And when you say those things about the executive producers, it makes me really uncomfortable. Good. Good for you. 
And, um, yeah, you know, that's the thing. It's like, I feel like, you know, in the workplace, I'm pretty alpha, you know. So, and I also think that makes straight, you know, an alpha gay man makes straight men really uncomfortable. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not taking your shit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the way. I, I think that's amazing. And I, 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 this is the thing that I've always known about you, that I've always sort of, you know, working with you and that now just being friends with you for, fuck, like 20 years. We've known each other. It's more than that, Scott. It's more than that. I know. Let's say it's 20. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> no, but like it took me a long time to get to that place where, you know, um, I've been fired twice because I was gay recently. Like in the last 10 years, twice. In New York. In New York City. So what is somebody in Peoria going through? <clears throat> I know exactly. Exactly. Uh, in New York City, exactly. And, 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 oh, it's... I had another, I had, you know, I had another executive producer uh, who was a nightmare, uh, a, a man, a writer, who was very successful. Uh, and he said, and he, one time he was talking to me and he said, something about my parents. And he goes, well, it's not like your parents are going to approve of your lifestyle. Like, sort of out of the blue. And approve your lifestyle. Approve of, it's it's not like your parents are gonna approve of your lifestyle, and I just like I didn't say anything to him because he was my boss, <sighs> but I just thought, wow, that's assuming a lot and really inappropriate. Uh, Can we talk about that word lifestyle though for a minute? Because I hear this all the time. We've heard it for you know decades. Like lifestyle. I don't approve of your lifestyle. Lifestyle to me is like you're a big golfer and you like buy all the clothes and you well, have you know, all it, the. It goes the back clubs. to the argument: is is it nature? Or is it a choice? Uh, no, no. But I'm talking about that word specifically, lifestyle. It makes it sound like, yeah, I just chose. I woke up one day and I was like, I want to suck dick, and. So that's my lifestyle. No. But, you know, but don't say ah. that because that's bringing it back to sex. And it's not about sex. It's about, you know, it's about emotional connection. No, I know that. And but who, but who that's emotionally... how they view it. Well, who cares how they view it? But the word lifestyle really bothers me. Because it's like lifestyle. You know, Interview Magazine did uh, an interview with Elizabeth Taylor uh, oh. in the 90s. May she rest in peace. And... Uh, she was talking about gay men and she said, God created gay men to make the world a more beautiful place. Mm. Mm. And when you think about that, what she's saying is, you know, Artists, designers. Well, no, but God made gay men. So gay men are born that way. They're created by God. God wants them here and he gave them a specific purpose. And it's a really, you know... That just made my nipples hard, that phrase that she said because I just think it's important don't stop like it's important that somebody like that says something like that Nancy Pelosi originally went to Congress because she lived in San Francisco 
and she saw the devastation that AIDS and HIV was having on the gay community, and she saw that no one was doing anything to help. So she ran for Congress and she went to Washington for the specific purpose of passing legislation that would help uh, HIV positive men and men who had AIDS and, and women and children and mm -hmm. everyone else. So Nancy Pelosi is an American hero and millions and millions of people in this country and around the world, because she was before Elizabeth Taylor. It was Nancy Pelosi mm -hmm. first and then Elizabeth Taylor. Pelosi is mm. amazing. I mean, really, her and Liz Taylor were the first. And, and, Coretta Scott King. Oh, yeah. Coretta really? Scott Wait, King. Wait, what? Really? Coretta Scott King came out for gay marriage in the 80s. And she was a huge champion of gay men. Uh, and gay people and lesbians. Um... So, you know, I think, you know, in the 80s, in like 1983, she's talking about passing gay marriage. So those three women uh, have been hugely important in allowing us to live the lives we live today. Wow. So, Thank you. I didn't, I didn't know a lot of Yeah, that. so when people talk about Martha Luther King, I, I am grateful for his contributions and what he has done. Because without Martin Luther King, there would not be a women's movement. There would be not be a gay movement. Right. Uh, right. You know, we owe our rights to those black drag queens at Stonewall. Exactly. In 1969, exactly. the lives we leave today. Uh, so black people have always been in the forefront of advancing uh, human rights. And they still are with voting in the right kinds of people in the last five years. They have mobilized, like black women specifically, have mobilized to like vote out. So that's why we have the House, is because black women got together and they mobilized to, to vote for the people, people in the House. People didn't turn out for Hillary. People no, did I know. not turn out I'm for I'm not Hillary. talking about that. I'm talking about in 2019, or 2018, the, the midterm. Like, we wouldn't have had to do the midterm had people turned out. I know, I know, I know. But I'm just saying, like... I think what you're trying to say is that women have always been in support. You know, when black Rodney women, King Specifically happened, black women. It though. was women, period. Not just black women. It was women. You know, it was the white men that started paying attention to AIDS and HIV, or HIV and AIDS when it started to happen to women, but women have always been there. You know, the suffragettes, if it wasn't mm -hmm. for them, there wouldn't be the well, black that, vote. That. Like, it's always been there. Sorry. Well, black men had the vote before women did. Mm -hmm. Oh, well. So that's not, you know... I'm wrong. Well, it's not that you're wrong, it's just that... But the girls have always been there. They have always been Let's take a quick break right now. We'll be right back. Tell me what the hell are you scared of when in the end The only thing is love in the end Love's the only thing I want to regret the things wanna, I've done wanna, Never wanna, the things I've left wanna, unknown wanna, Never a second will wanna, I waste wanna, Never an opportunity wanna, to taste the sweetness of We're talking again about even in 2019, black people 
people of color. You know, I follow a lot of black people because we share a lot of the same political views. You know, mm -hmm. and I feel like I sh I sh my political views are more in line with black people than they are with most white people, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times I'll find myself responding to something that a black person has tweeted, and then I stop myself and I delete it. Why? Because I think that... Because you're not a black person. Because I'm not a black person. And I feel yeah. like no matter what I respond, it's not going to be what they want to hear from a white person. You know, you even if I'm in sympathy... That. I feel the same. I feel the same. And I think we should feel that, frankly. But it depends on what you're going to say. Is it something funny? No. You know, usually it's something supportive. So then why not say it? Um, because I think that a lot of times... I'll give you a person, perfect example. You know how people say, I don't see color? Oh, that's garbage. Well, yeah. well, it's garbage. But that is something that is very insulting to people of color. But Absolutely. for your average white person who doesn't have black friends, who they talk to and care about, that seems like a good thing to say. So I kind of feel like it's that. It's like sometimes, you know, you can be well-intentioned and say something that's offensive and not realize you're saying something that's offensive. Yeah. I would always rather err on the side of saying nothing than risk saying something that could be construed. Oh, oh, but don't you think that, that you should take the risk in saying what you need to say because I feel like if you're silent, you're not helping the situation at all. You know, I would say something... I honestly feel like some black people, not all black people, I think some black people don't want to hear from white people that you know, when they are talking about something that they find specific well, that, to black people, well, you know, they don't want to hear, you know, they don't want to hear anything from, they don't even want to hear support from white people. Because no matter how you support them, you're supporting them the wrong way. Can I, can I interject? Because Does, the whole, like, all lives matter in response to, what would you like? Water. Oh. All I lives need, matter. I need ice too, please. In, in response to, um, Black Lives Matter. It's like, no. I feel like even those no. black people that, that don't want any support from, from the white folk, it's sort of like, you shouldn't stop your support because of that. Because you fear black Twitter. When it's like, it's just, a, it's a small percentage. Like, show your support. Because there are way more black people that need it, even though those are the ones, or some of the ones that don't want to hear it. I would say it anyway. I don't care. <laughs> That's why I would. And if it, and if you know what you're saying, I'm trying to think of. A, you know, there was recently a specific instance where it was just. I'll tell you, Black Twitter cancel culture—they don't play. No. Oh, oh, they go in. All right, I'm going to end it here. This is part one. We're going to reconvene. <laughs> I love that word. Thank you. Say goodbye. Good night, Scott. Way Off the Record has been written, produced, and edited by me, Scott Ambrosino, also produced by Christian Hernandez, and our amazing music is by the amazing Marie Tree. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Radio Public, Luminary, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening.